Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So before we get into this morning's message, I just want to um, over, uh, re-emphasize our new series starting next week called Multiply. I am just so, so excited about it because I think it's going to just be transformational. We have just been experiencing some incredible things God has been doing among us uh, in our church family. And it's just, uh, honestly, we, we, on, in our staff meetings, it's Tuesday, uh, Tuesday uh, afternoons, and we, we just look around at each other and we just say, okay, let's not do anything to mess this up. <laughs> Because God is just doing some incredible things, just some good, good things. And, and I, we believe this Multiply series is going to be a big, big part of that. It will be life-changing for you. It will be life-changing for your family, for your friends, for our church, for our community. And uh, it's something we're going to all go through together. So I really hope that you will set aside. I know we got six weeks to summer, so we, we strategically did it before summer vacation. I hope that you will be here for every one of those uh, and just see what God will do in your life. Uh, we'll have a companion book along with that for you to read each week. Um, it just some really, really good stuff, so I really encourage you to get in on that. So this morning, we are wrapping up a little two-week series. We started last week. We're doing it on love and hate. Last week, we talked about love. And, and the whole idea behind this series is in every relationship, in any serious relationship, you want to know more about the other person. You want to know what are the things that person loves so that you will do those kinds of things. And you also want to know the things that they hate so that you don't do those things and mess up the relationship, okay? And so it is with God. We want to know what are the things God's love, God loves, what are the things God hates. And we started off last week, I kind of just for fun, just kind of did a little thing about the things that you love and the things that you hate. And we talked about the foods, um, like, you know, it's okay to hate Brussels sprouts. I know there were a few of you that disagreed with me on that one, but that's okay. Uh, we talked about different types of music. Talked about different sports teams. You love different sports teams. You love the Giants. You love the A's. And then I actually had somebody come to me, actually more than one person come to me after the service, services last week, and they said, you know, you didn't mention the Dodgers. <laughs> and I thought, well, we'll save them for next week. <laughs> so this week we're talking about hate. Last week we were talking, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, sorry. Um, last week we talked about love, and that love is not just something God does, it's, it's who he is. It is, this, it is the very essence of his nature. He is love. And, and that's very, very powerful stuff. When you begin to understand that, when you let that get down into the depths of your being, depths of your soul, to understand there is a God who truly loves you, not because you're particularly lovable, but just because he loves. Now, the question then comes, well, how can, if, if God's so loving, is there anything that he hates? Is it possible for a loving God to actually hate something? And we're going to look at this morning. Yes, there are. There are some things. In fact, Proverbs chapter 6, if you want to turn there, um, if not, it's in your program there on the, uh, in your notes section. This is what uh, Proverbs 6, 16 says. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush to evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Now, that is not an exhaustive list, but it is very much... Typical of the kinds of things that God hates. 
Now, we're not going to go through a whole list, but what you will find this morning as we go through, particularly in 1 John in his letter, um, these things all have things in common. They are typical of the things that God hates. And John wrote a little bit more about it in his letter. So 1 John, if you want to follow along there, 1 John, beginning in chapter 1, we're going to read what John had to write about this whole idea, beginning in verse 5, chapter 1. He wrote, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, Jesus his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Turn to page chapter 2, verse 9. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. And then skip over to chapter 3, verse 12. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, as the world hates you. We know that we've passed from death to life because we love one another. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on him, how then can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. And this is how we know we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. So does a loving God hate? And if so, what is it that God hates? And I think John gives us a clue on some of those things. One of them is this. God hates the sin that separates us from a relationship with Him. We said last week that He designed us for this love relationship with Him. In love, He created us. And We were designed to live in that loving relationship with Him. But there is something that gets in the way. And you know this is true because this is true in every relationship that you have. You know when there's something that is not right. You've done something to hurt somebody or offend them or, or, or violate their trust. You have done something and you know the difference it makes in the relationship. You know it. You can feel it deep in your bones, and it makes it hard to, contain, to maintain that relationship. And so you have conversations. Maybe this has happened in your house. What's the matter? Nothing. 
But you know there's something, okay? There is something. You know there's not nothing. You know there is something because something has stirred up the, the, a, a breach in the relationship. And you may not know what you did or you do know and don't want to fess up to it, but you know it has affected the relationship. And that's what sin does. This is what John wrote. He said, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, if we claim to have a relationship with him, if we claim that our relationship with him is all good, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. He's saying, you can't, you can't maintain a relationship with God. You can't believe that your relationship with God is all good when there is stuff in the way. And he uses a very interesting word. He said, talks about walking in the darkness. That word walk in, in the original language in Greek, it's, it's actually a pretty long word, peripateo. Not peripateo, peripateo. It's a compound word. And it actually comes two words that we know very well. Um, the first part is peri, where we get our English word perimeter. It has to do with the, circum- the going around, the perimeter, okay? It's, it has to do with going around. The other pateo part has to do with where we get our English word path or pattern. And what he's saying is that we can't say our relationship with God is all good when we continue to walk in a path that is in the opposite direction from him. We can't walk around in this path thinking everything's good when it's not. And when we choose a path that is of our own making, that takes us on a pathway away from God. He said, that's walking in darkness. And it's not a healthy place to be because that path leads you away from God. It has to do with the way of life. It talks about continuing on this pathway that you know is the wrong path. And the path that you take separates you from God. This, by the way, goes all the way back to the creation story goes all the way back to the very, very beginning. You might remember the story, how God created man and woman, placed them in a garden and provided them everything they could possibly ever need, gave them purpose, gave them meaning, gave them authority, gave them all the resources they could have, anything they could possibly need. They could eat from any tree in the whole garden. There was only one rule, one commandment. A lot, God's blessings on them, God's provision for them, God's, God's work in their life, it was, it was innumerable. The condition was minimal, just one. Do not eat of this tree, the knowledge of good and evil. Now, it's not that God didn't want them to understand the difference between good and evil. It wasn't a tree about moral discernment. It was about moral authority. Because when you eat of this tree, it's the decision to say, I will be my own God. I will decide what is right or wrong. This knowledge of good and evil will now be my choice to make. And I will say, this is right. And I will be my own God. That's what the decision was. And that's why God says, you got to refrain from that tree because I'm the authority. I tell you what is right and wrong. They chose instead to eat of that tree. And in essence, they were saying, I'm going to be my own God. I'm not going to trust his authority in my life. I'm not going to trust he wants the best for me. I'm not going to trust that he's good and loving and providing. I'm going to do it my own way. And we have been eating from that tree ever since. And do you remember what happened when God came looking for them? They hid. And God comes to the garden and he goes, Adam, where are you? And this is his response. He said, I heard you in the garden 
And I was afraid. He knew something was wrong now. Something changed in the relationship. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. See, hiding is what we do when we're continuing in that path. It's a path that moves us away from God, and we know it. We know it. And so we kind of distance ourselves almost on purpose sometimes. I heard you, and I was ashamed, so I hid. That's what sin does. It causes us to hide from God. It separates us from God. By the way, by the way, when God confronts him and calls for him, which God who created him and placed him in the garden that God created, and that's the garden they're hiding, when God says, where are you? It's not like God is lost or confused. It's not like he doesn't know where he is. What he's doing is he's giving Adam the chance to come out of hiding. And given the chance to come out of hiding and take responsibility for the choice that he made, what does Adam do? He blames somebody else. It's the woman. (laughs) It's the woman. And it's not just the woman. It's the woman you gave me. This isn't my fault, God. It's her fault. And if it's not her fault, it's your fault because you made... This was not my idea. You made her, okay? This is not... And we have been blaming each other. That's the other thing that we do. And, And one more thing, by the way. I don't know if you've ever noticed that when you read that story. The commandment to not eat of that tree is given before Eve is created. Yeah, you never noticed that before. How many women know what it's like to be in a relationship with a man who does not give you all the details of the conversations that he has? Yeah? I'm just saying. Hiding, fleeing, covering up, Blaming are all symptoms of the very same thing. Prophet Isaiah put it this way. Your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you. Separation and hiding. See, that's what God hates. He hates what sin does to our relationship with him. And we think it's not that big a deal. But it is. God hates it. He also hates the animosity that distances us from other people. Not only does this stuff affect our relationship with him, it affects our relationship with others as well. We looked at it last week. The primary means by which we are told in Scripture to love God is to love other people. Jesus put those two together. The greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So, Not only does it affect my relationship with God, it affects my relationship with each other. And that animosity and that hatred starts to destroy relationships this way. He puts it this way. Anyone who hates his brother or sister is in the darkness. And they walk around in the darkness. That same word. They're on that path of darkness. They don't know where they're going because darkness has blinded them. Anybody know anyone else in your life who is blinded by hatred? See, that's what hatred does. That's what animosity, that's what bitterness does. It blinds us. 
We, what happens is we start categorizing people and objectifying people. We put them in particular classes or categories, and then we say, well, God hates that group of people because look at what they do. And, and, we're, and then we don't look at them as individuals and persons who God has created in his own image. Now, they are categories of people. They are, they are something other than persons. And that's what hatred does. It blinds us to the people that God created and loved. Hatred does that. And one of the things about it is, we have this thing, every one of us has this thing, it's called the self-serving bias. Psychologists call it this, self-serving bias. Self-serving bias is when you can see the faults in other people and assign it to their character, but have the same faults in yourself and excuse it as a mistake. That, that you can see something in other people and that's who they are. But in you, the very same thing is just something that I did. Here's how it works out. You ever been in a hurry driving down the freeway? And all of those idiots who drive slow in the fast lane? Have you noticed that? But when you are not in a hurry, there are these other idiots. They are the ones weaving in and out of traffic trying to speed up and get a little ahead of you. You know? They're doing the exact same thing that you did last time. But now they're the idiots. That's self-serving bias. We see in other people things that we attribute to them in their character. But in ourselves, they're just minor mistakes. And that divides people. It destroys relationships. In fact, John takes it even further. He says, anyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer. Wait, I never, I'm not, I'm not going to com- kill anybody. I'm not going to commit murder. He says, no, anyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. Now, that's really strong language. But you know what? He is echoing the very same language of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. And the same type of language is used by James in his letter. That attributes hatred and anger with murder. that's just kind of carrying it a little bit too far. No, it's not. No, it's not. This week, I don't know if you read in the paper, Margaret Thatcher died. And then I read in the paper the day later that people were having death parties celebrating her death. Yeah, And, and there's actually a big push for people to buy the song Ding dong, the witch is dead, so it will go to number one on the charts all over again in reference to her. Where does that come from? Now, none of those people killed her, but it's inside. Some of you might have read Rick Warren's son committed suicide last weekend. And a number of people posting in social media, well, this is what he gets. This is what... Where does that come from? See, none of those people would have murdered that person, but that's in the heart. (laughs) And that's what Jesus is saying is, if you hold on to bitterness, if you hold on to anger, if you hold on to hatred, that is murderous. That destroys people. Maybe not physically, but it is destructive. And make no mistake about it. And that's why God hates it. Because these are people that God loves. Christ died for. And we carry anger and bitterness and animosity and hatred. 
It's destructive. It's destructive. See, when you say yes to Jesus, you are saying yes to a life of love. You are making a commitment to love. And you cannot hold on to hatred. You cannot hold on to anger. You cannot hold on to animosity and bitterness. You have got to learn to let it go. You have got to learn to forgive. These are the tools. These are the tools of love. Forgiveness. Restoration. Caring. Prayer. Giving. Because that anger and that hatred and that bitterness, that's in you. You got to deal with it. And when you incorporate the tools of love and you learn to pray for your enemies and do good to those who hate you and you start doing what Christ said to do, then you start living this life of love. In fact, James takes it even, uh, John takes it even a little bit further. He even takes it to the point and says, to withhold love is equivalent to hatred. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of Christ be in that person? Giving, caring, sharing, those are the tools of love, and they change your heart. And that's why things like our walk for water, or, or when we did the spring family fest, or, or trunk or treat, or just ways that we just show love to people in our community or around the world, that, that, is, that is investing in the kingdom of God, and it is life-changing for them and for us. Because God hates it when sin separates us from him, when it separates us from each other. But most of all, I think God hates the destruction that sin wrecks on our very own souls. Because not only does sin separate us from God, not only does it separate us from each other, it separates us from ourselves. It separates us from the person God designed us to be. Your true self, my true self. Sin destroys that in my soul. It takes a personal toll. And the reason that God hates it because of how destructive it is. Sometimes you may have heard the saying, to love the sinner but hate the sin. Anybody ever heard that before? C.S. Lewis has a great thought on that. He's reading. He says, he said, you know, I used to think of that was just like theological hair splitting. That how in the world do you love the sinner but hate the sin? And then I realized I do it all the time for myself. I don't like the things that I do. I hate the sin that I get myself caught up in. But I don't stop loving myself. See, God loves you. But he hates the sin that destroys your life. He hates the sin that has a stranglehold on your soul, that chokes the life out of it. And to think that it doesn't have that effect is to be sadly mistaken and deceived. And God doesn't stop loving you, but he hates what it's doing to your soul. And, and it's like the doctor who loves, loves his patient, but hates the cancer that is eating away his patient's life. 
It's like, it's like the parent who loves his son or daughter, but hates the addiction that is destroying them. See, that's what God hates. He hates the damage that it does. He doesn't hate you, but he hates the damage that it does to your soul. It hates the, he hates the damage that it does to your relationships. He hates the damage that it does to your life with him. And that's why it's such a powerful thing. And that's why he hates it so strongly. Because it just does damage everywhere. Now, here's the thing. There's a couple of ways that we deal with that. When we finally get to the point where we acknowledge, there's two things. We will either do one of two things. We will either carry the guilt and the shame of that and think to ourselves, how can God possibly love me? How could God possibly forgive me? I keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. How many times before he stops forgiving? Or we go back into hiding mode, push it off to the side, and try to deny that it's there. And John speaks to both of those. He says, first of all, if our hearts condemn us, if you're carrying the shame, if you continue to carry the guilt, if you continue to feel like God could never do anything to forgive you because you just keep messing up so many times, he writes these words, if our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts. And is that good news? He is greater than our hearts to condemn us. And he knows everything. He knows who we were intended to be. And he longs to see that come forward. And for those who go their self-justification route, he says this, but if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So carrying all the guilt and the shame, that's a dead-end pathway. And trying to deny that it's a reality, that's a dead-end pathway. There's only one way. There's only one way to truly deal with all of this. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. He is faithful and just. How many times will he forgive? He is faithful. And he's just. Well, how can a just God declare a guilty person like me not guilty? Because Christ already paid the price in full for you and for me. And because of his grace and his mercy, he looks at us with forgiveness. He will forgive us our sin because he paid the price. And he will not only do that, he will purify us. He will change us. He will continue to work his purifying work in our lives. He is faithful and he is just. He forgives and he purifies. And if you're here this morning, I don't know how that could possibly happen. I don't know how that could possibly be a reality for me. It's because God does it, not because you earned it. He does a transplant. That's what John says. This is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. He takes all that old garbage and cleans it all out. And then he puts in good stuff. His spirit himself comes and indwells our lives. And there's the hope, and there's the promise. And there's where that love-life relationship with God happens. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.